the timeline of what happened in Jesus' life, but they really haven't got the full revelation, we call it. They haven't got the full unveiling, the full understanding of all that he provided. And the reason that's so important is because it prohibits or it at least inhibits your ability to be and to do all that you were created to be and do. We, we are not ordinary people. We are uncommon people. If you know Jesus, you're uncommon. That's what, that's what it means to be holy. Holy doesn't mean to wear your hair in a bun. You know, for ladies, don't put your makeup on or take off the earrings, you know. That's not what holy is. That's I grew up in the holiness movement, and I'm here to tell you, despite it being called the holiness movement, they didn't get holiness. Holy means uncommon. The opposite of, the opposite of holy is not sin. The opposite of sin is righteousness. The opposite of holy is common. And we have a common church today. We have common Christians. They are. They look like everybody. There's no distinguishable difference between us and everyone else. And it has nothing to do with your apparel. Now, again, you ought to be modest. Paul says you ought to be modest. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't features of that that come into our consideration. But the big deal is, is that if you're in tune with God, those things usually take care of themselves. And the greater issue is, is whether or not you're willing to get out of the flesh and into the things of the Spirit. Because you start getting into the things of the Spirit and the things of the flesh don't even seem to come up much anymore. And and in order to get a hold of this, we've got to get a hold of what Christ provided. What happened? What happened when he was on earth? What happened when he died on the cross? What happened when he spent three days and three nights in the grave? What happened at the resurrection? And now finally this morning, we're talking about what happened at the ascension. Now before I get there and read you some verses out of the gospel, I want to read to you. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, because just as I take a little bit of time uh, opening up a sermon series, I want to take just a minute or two uh, to conclude this one and and just make a a couple quick statements before we get into the ascension. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. This is what Paul says. He says to Timothy, interesting, as well, Timothy was pastoring Ephesus. I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about the church at Ephesus here in just a minute, but he was... He was pastoring the church at Ephesus. It was the largest church uh, at that particular time. There were over 100,000 people in the city of of Ephesus, of which Timothy pastored 25,000. So let's understand right off the bat that the era of the megachurch isn't a 21st century phenomenon. Let me tell you, this was a megachurch. 25,000 people in a city of 100,000. That's that's a quarter of the population is in your church. Now, think about that for just a moment. Think about the days that they were living in and understand this. It wasn't like today when when people if you ask them what church they go to, they'll tell you a church name and they'll show up, you know, two times a year. We're talking about people that are in the hunt. So so imagine how much extra influence they probably had even during this particular time period. So Paul's writing to Timothy He's been mentoring Timothy. Timothy is his son in the faith. And he writes him some words and he wants to remind him of some things. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me begin with verse 3. It says this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Everyone say sound doctrine. He didn't say perfect doctrine. There's no such thing as perfect doctrine. The reason I can say that is because we all see through a glass darkly. 
Now, you may think you have perfect doctrine, but I'll assure you that you're not perfect, nor am I. But we can have sound doctrine. He says that there'll come a time, though, that they'll not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears, meaning the people's ears, away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So he's saying to Timothy, he's saying, remember this, that in the last days, and most often people refer to these verses as those last day verses, he says, I want you to hear something, that in the last days, church, church will still be happening. In fact, he says, they're still going to be preaching and teaching. He already told him earlier that, that there would be a form of godliness, but there just wouldn't be any power associated with it. He not only says this, he says the church will still be happening, but there'll be no preaching and teaching like what they're supposed to be hearing. He says the doctrine they will hear in that end times will not be sound. They will not endure sound doctrine. The word sound can literally be translated healthy. Healthy. Healthy doctrine. Now, we could give all sorts of images and illustrations. Some of you are very much in tune in your bodies with nutrition. How many of you know you can't eat sugar? You know, you can't, you can't do those trans fats three times a day every day of your life. You're going to look like one big trans fat. I mean, if you, if you eat if you eat 50 Twinkies a day and you want to do that seven days a week, your insides are going to be cream-filled. You're going to get the shape of a Twinkie. So, so we all know certain things naturally, instantly, that we cannot do lest we become sick. We must do some things that are healthy. Now, you don't have to be perfect. There's nobody perfect. I mean, there's thousands of nutritional books out there, and, and I, don't, I don't even study this area. I, don't just, I just know enough to be dangerous. But you know, I know enough to know that a lot of people have a lot of different type of views on different things. And it doesn't mean that one's wrong or right. It just means that there can be different, some different views, but the, but the key to it is you've got to be healthy. Well, it goes the same with feeding your spirit. It goes the same with teaching or preaching. You must get a sound diet. You can't get the dessert all the time. If all I did was feed you dessert, you'd look, that's what we got. We got Christians today that are bloated on their, their dessert word. They, can't, they won't get up and do anything because they got them a dessert word. They won't pray because they got them a dessert word. They won't work. They got them a dessert word. They won't be in the house of God because they got them a dessert word. Amen. And they're wondering why God doesn't seem to be working, and it's because they're sick. Yes, do they hear the word parts of it? Yes, but they're sick. Just like, do you get food? Yes, but you're sick. And so there has to be a, a, a sound diet. That's why we have to talk about the whole counsel of God. Because if you don't get the whole counsel, what happens is your spiritual man, your spirit man atrophies, and you begin to die. Years ago, when I was going through college, I worked as a draftsman in a company. It was called Carico Systems. It made control panels for the automotive industry 
Uh, they were safety control panels in order that the flames by which they would bake the automotive paint on the body, if, if something were to go wrong, these panels had UV scanners and it would instantly shut the gas off to the flames and there wouldn't be an explosion. And we made those panels. And I was a draftsman as I was going through college. And we were out in the country. There was a fence company that shared the same parking lot as we did. And they would stack all their wood in the back. And uh, they just had this mammoth pile of old wood, old fence wood, that they had piled up. Well, the day came when they decided they needed to get rid of it all. I don't know if someone told them they had to, but they decided they would turn that wood into a burn pile. And, and, and so they lit that gigantic pile on fire. It had been sitting there. I'd worked for the company several years, so I know it had been sitting there for several years. And as soon as that, that pile of wood went into flames, there was a migration of rats that came out of that wood pile, the likes of which you have never seen. I'm talking hundreds. I mean, I, you know, I'm a guy and I can live through a rat or two, but I, you look at a hundred rats and you start humming the old tune to Ben, you know, that old mouse movie. Some of you will know that. Well, it caused a real problem because the mice started scattering, or mice, rats started scattering every which direction, coming toward a building they were going to find somewhere to go, and they headed straight for that building we worked in. We went out and bought these mouse traps. I mean, we're talking, well, they were rat traps. I keep saying mouse. They were rat traps. They, were, they had to be. I remember they were that big, and I am not embellishing. Anybody seen a good old rat trap? It looks like, like we did trap a bear in. I mean, it just, I mean... And, and, and so it became, we became experts. We didn't call anybody in to do all that work. We were going to do it ourselves. So we got peanut butter. Rats love peanut butter. And so we would, we would scrape peanut butter on that rat trap. And we set out ten rat traps, different locations. With God as my witness, let my tongue stick to the top roof of my mouth if I'm lying to you. For three weeks, 21 days, ten rat traps were set out. Every rat trap was filled every morning. 21 days. That meant 10 times 21 is 210. We captured, and, and that's not counting how long after that, that they all wouldn't be filled. But we're talking they were all the rat traps were filled for three weeks straight. 210 rats. That's a rat problem right there. And I started thinking about that. And here lately... I've been told that uh, they no longer use rat traps. In fact, I heard a story recently that they've got this new, this, this, this new pesticide um, that they put out for the rats. In fact, you don't trap the rats at all because, you know, what happens is you trap the rat, you forget, you know, you, you have them there and you start smelling after a while. And so, so they wanted to get rid of that. And so now they have this new thing that they'll feed the rat and the rat loves it. He'll eat it, he'll gobble it up, and he can't get enough of it. And you keep setting it out, and he keeps, he keeps eating and eating and eating, thinking he's full. What's that stuff called, Ed? What's the zinc phosphate? They, eat, they, eat, they love it. They eat it up, eat it up. Literally, they feel like they're full, but inside, they're actually dying of malnutrition. So what happens is they keep eating this stuff up while they're starving to death. It's an amazing thing. We live in that very same era spiritually. We have people who are eating up what they think tastes great and saying to themselves, I'm getting the word, I'm getting the word, I'm getting the word, only they're starving to death. And when the heat gets put on, and that's what I thought, I thought as soon as the heat gets put on and the rats start moving, 
That's what the enemy has for you. It's not as if he's only in the fire. He, he gives you the sweet stuff too until they finally die of malnutrition. We have a generation of people that are eating things spiritually that seem good to them, but they're dying. It's not working. They don't want sound doctrine because doctrine, that's boring. Don't give me doctrine that's, that's irrelevant. It is boring. And I want you to know that in truth, doctrine is the most relevant, exciting thing you can get your hands around. Because that is the key to why things work spiritually in your life. I'll fault the teachers and preachers. Some of it's our fault for making it so boring. I mean, nobody wants to know about superlapsarianism. Nobody gets off on that. They want to know, how do I get my kid off drugs? That's what they want to know. They want to know, they don't, they don't care about sublapsarianism. They don't care about all the different eschatological viewpoints. They don't care. They want to know what's going to make life work. I can appreciate that, but you've got to get a hold of what God says is available and how it is put into motion, and you're going to have to press through. You know, I, I, I'm, this, this isn't on my notes. I'm just talking here for just a minute. You can go to a doctor, let's say, and, and they can write out for you a diet, a meal plan, and they can just write it out saying, eat this, 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 this. And that can be effective. But the most effective thing that can happen in your life is if you begin to grasp why putting this in your mouth works. Why doing this activity with my body works. What's going on in order to make all this happen? Because you listen to a teacher or you listen to a preacher and they say you need to, you ought to, this is what you should be doing. And, we, and for a while we'll say, okay, I'll try it. And when it doesn't work in 24 hours, 48 hours, you look at yourself and say, I don't feel good, it doesn't taste as good as what this tasted, and you're ready to pitch it. Someone's got to tell you what's going on and why it's working in your life. And, and, and so that's what we have tried to do. And, and we've done that by talking about his death, his burial, his descension into hell, his resurrection, and now finally the ascension. And so we're going to get some things. You don't hear the ascension preached much. I remember, I never heard growing up a message on the ascension. Maybe you have. I, I haven't even talked about it a lot. But I started to read some of what Paul said with regards to the ascension. And I'm here to tell you, get ready. Everybody got your seatbelts on, ready to roll? Luke's gospel, turn to Luke now, 24, verse 50. You can write these down or I'm going to go through this quickly. Luke 24, 50, it says, And he, meaning Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. That is one of the passages regarding the ascension. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Again, we read, Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him, meaning Jesus, out of their sight. And then finally, let's read what Paul said about it and what it all means. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Hang tough with me. Ephesians 1, 15, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, everyone say, that's me. That the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and what? Revelation in the knowledge of Him. 
that the eyes, verse 18, of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, you don't need a lot of exposition on these verses to begin to hear in your hearing right now what he says. He says, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to have understanding. I want you to have revelation. I need your eyes to get opened so that you might know and have the hope or the imagination of what it is that God's will is for your life. He says, I want you to know or have revelation of the riches that exist in him. He says, I want you to know of the exceeding superabundant, overflowing greatness of His power that is toward you right now, if you believe. Now, we got to get a hold of that. And then it says in verse 20, it says, which He worked in Christ, and listen to these two things, when He raised Him from the dead, and what? And seated Him. So all of that stuff I just mentioned to you, it's great, it's available, and it says that he'd worked it out when he raised him from the dead. We celebrated Resurrection Sunday last week, right? But he goes on to say, and seated him. Raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen now, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named... Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I can't wait to get there. I, I, it's, it, your head's in this right now. It says that all the things which are available, the imagination, the hope of his calling, his will for your life, the imagination that you have regarding the promises of God. He says... That, as well as uh, being aware of the riches that he has, the power that's available. It says that he worked it in Christ when he raised him from the dead and when he seated him at his right hand. And when he seated him, this is what it says. He seated him above everything. Every name that is named. Can I share this with you? When Christ was seated, he was seated above your disease. When he was seated, he was seated above your infirmity. He was seated above cancer. He was seated above infection. He was, in, he was seated above everything that could be named. He was seated above poverty. He was seated above your failure. He was seated above everything. Man, everything that could be named. You, it doesn't matter. You say, you don't know what I'm facing. I don't care if it's got a name. He's seated above it. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. It's not only good for today or yesterday, but it's good for tomorrow. And in the days ahead. Resurrection is great. It's wonderful. It's critical. But we've often neglected the whole counsel, the totality of God's word here. And when he ascended, something happened in that ascension, which put into place a prevailing or a conquering or an overcoming that we've got to embrace, and it's available for each one of us. When Jesus ascended, he, he went into the final act of his earthly ministry. He had spent 40 days with his disciples after the resurrection. He now, as we read in the scripture, at the end of this 40 days, ascends. It's a supernatural happening. He's lifted, the Bible says, into a cloud. 
He ascends to the Father. What happens when he ascends to the Father? Well, as I've come to understand it, he walks into that heavenly temple, that tabernacle that exists there. And he brings his own blood with him. And he says, Father, no longer will you have to look at the blood of bulls and goats, but I present to you now the once and for all blood. The blood that will, that will redeem all of humanity if they embrace it. I present to you the blood. And as the Father received the blood of the perfect Lamb, once slain for all mankind, He He received it and something happened at that moment as he received it and he said to his son, be seated here at my right hand. It's it's a very overlooked happening. We don't really talk about this much. Paul said, I'm I'm praying that you get this. I'm I'm praying that you get revelation, not only of the resurrection and, and the death and the burial, but you need to get revelation and enlightenment with regards to his ascension and his seating. And whenever Paul says, I'm praying that you get revelation, the inference is this, we don't have it. Now, I'm going to be real careful here. But the Ephesian church was this massive, large, mega church. And can I just say this? I I would love someday, if God wills it, I mean, it would be great to have an influential, large work in ministry because I can think of I can think of the resource that can go plant churches and send it to mission fields and impact people and influence people. And I mean, what a wonderful thing that would be to impact the culture with with that sort of phenomena taking place. So hear me carefully. It would be wonderful. And let me tell you, God has no problem with big. He started the church with 3,000 people and two days later he gave them 5,000 more guys. So God's got no problem with this. But this is the problem God has, and this was the key of Paul when he looked at this Ephesian church, one quarter of the population attending that particular church. He says to them, listen now, I know your reputation. I know you got it going on. I know there's lots of people, but you don't have revelation. 300 in Gideon's army are better than 30,000 going against the enemy. That's the revelation you need. It don't take much. Just two or three gathered together in his name and you can do just about anything. And he says, I'm praying, I'm praying that you get a revelation of his greatness to you. Not only through the resurrection, but when he was seated at the ascension. We understand in the church, the cross by and large. We understand the resurrection by and large. But we've not been taught the ascension. The ascension is that part that we've got to get a hold of because it's part of the revelation. Now, let me just share. I'm going to go quickly because I'm concluding this whole thing. There are three types of people, and you need to ask yourself this question as I share this. What type of person are you? Ask yourself this question because to be candid, I can't define it. I might take a good guess and might even be right. But ultimately, you're going to have to answer the question. There are three types of people, and you're going to have to say, which one do I want to be? Which one am I? The first type person is what we'll call the natural man. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 that the natural man can't get anything with regards to the things of the spirit. They're just, they're foreign to him. They're mysterious to him. The reason this is so is because the natural man is dead in his sins. He's dead in his trespasses and sins. So until you're made alive by contacting the living Christ, you have no possibility of prevailing or overcoming. In fact, the natural man lives strictly by his senses. 
He's controlled by his senses. He's governed by his senses. The natural man lives and walks according to the course of this age. Everything he evaluates, he evaluates strictly by the natural. If it makes sense to his senses, then it probably would be something he would do. If it doesn't make any sense to his senses, if it doesn't pass the touch, feel, taste, hear, smell test, the natural man refuses it. So God has a difficult time doing anything in the natural man because God does things by the Spirit and obviously by faith. The natural man dead in trespass and sin. The second person is what we'll call the carnal man. The carnal man. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 1, Paul said this. He said, I can't give you solid meat. I still have to give you milk. The reason is because you are carnal. What he was basically saying is, is that I want to unveil some things to you. I want to reveal some things to you. I want to get to the crux of the matter and talk about a little bit deeper issues that may be going on. But I can't do it because you're still wandering around trying to get over this little discouragement that comes your way all the time. And you can't, you, you're, you just capitulate to it all the time. You capitulate instantly to anything that comes your way. Anytime your senses are the least bit challenged, anytime your senses are the least bit touched, you just, you just trip and fall into it instantly. He says you're carnal. Basically, carnal means baby. You're a baby. Now, the carnal man, it's interesting. And I've had people ask this, and, and again, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm glad I'm not God. Aren't you glad I'm not God? To untangle all of this, I'm glad it's in God's hands. But apparently to be a carnal Christian means that somehow, sometime, your spirit was recreated. There was a moment that you came in contact with the living Christ and he began to transform you out of your deadness of the natural man into the newness of the new creature. But somewhere in that, something happened that circumvented the fullness of transformation and what happened is, is that the carnal man, while yet having this potential of being recreated, continually allows the natural state that he was in, the habits that he'd formed, the mentalities that he had formed, he constantly allows that to govern in his situation. So the carnal man actually will look a lot like the natural man. They'll look almost exactly the same. Because let me tell you, if you're governed by your senses, it, it doesn't, I mean... And you understand that the carnal, the carnal Christian is the one with the bumper sticker who walks around and goes, I know I'm not living any different than you. I know, I know I don't look any different than you. I know my life isn't doing any better than your life is doing, but I'm forgiven. Are you with me? Now, we'll leave all that in God's hands to see how he shakes that out at the end of the age. But the problem is, this is where a lot of Christian people are today. That is why the natural man looks at the church and the natural man says to himself, I don't see what the big deal is with you guys. You live what I live. You say what I say. The statistics are just about the same for you as they are for me. So tell me again, what's the big deal? They've seen our carnality. Now, the key is God doesn't want you to be a natural man. He doesn't want you to be a carnal man. He wants you to be, number three, a spiritual man. A spiritual man. A spiritual man or woman walks, breathes, intercedes, prays, seeks for the revelation of who they are in Christ Jesus. I understand. I look like Kevin Baird this morning. 
I understand that I am a, I'm a man, I'm a human being with the propensity inside of me as in any of you to go any direction at any particular moment if I make a wrong choice. But the good news is that if I choose, if I choose to seek after him, if I choose to pursue him, if I choose to implement the principles that I know are in his word, if I choose to do this, I can begin to rule. I can begin to reign. I can begin to exercise dominion in my situations and circumstances. And listen to me, folks. You're not going to exercise dominion in the earth. You're not going to exercise dominion on your job. Kids, you will not exercise dominion in your school. You'll not exercise dominion in your home until you exercise rule over this temple first. Unless you can handle this house first, God isn't going to give you much else. It just, it's the same way with Adam and Eve. He said, I'm going to give you a garden and let's see how you work with the little garden before I just let you have at it in the world. And they didn't handle the garden all that well. And so, so it is with us. So we've got to begin to learn to exercise dominion over thoughts, dominion over emotions, dominion over our senses. We can't continually have a bit in our mouth with regards to our senses that every time, guys, a lady walks by with a short skirt and it's cut down to her belly button, we're, we're, getting, we're rubbernecking it. Come on. Amen. And ladies, just because they're a stud muffin with a six-pack and they're ripped, don't tell me ladies don't look at that stuff. I know better. Come on now. We've got to get control over this. We've got to exercise dominion over some of this stuff. We're getting led here, there, and everywhere based on our senses. Come on, I'll, I'll, I'll even dig a little deeper. If you haven't ruled over the buffet line, Now he's done gone to meddling now. He's meddling now. Come on. We got to start ruling over some things. We got to start ruling over some of these personal issues. If you can't shut the TV off, you, you don't expect to run the world. I, I listen to young people all the time. I've heard this so many times, I just chuckle anymore. They're going to they're gonna go sing in the secular arena so they can be a light that'll shine on MTV. You can't turn MTV off. You, you, don't have enough, you don't have enough dominion to switch the channel when the commercials are lousy. But boy, you're going to be a light. Who are you fooling? It ain't me. Now, you may got some other folk fooled. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen, but it ain't going to happen in the current state we're in. So we've got to learn what it means to be spiritual. A spiritual man begins to master that inner aspect of their life, they begin to master the spiritual work of God that has been released in them. You say, well, pastor, have you arrived? No, I've not arrived, but at least I can say I'm pursuing. Are you? And that's the key. Nobody starts at the same place, but you can all start this morning by saying, that's what I want to happen in my life. And when you begin to rule and let God begin to rule in, 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 in your inner being and in your situation, suddenly what happens is, that circumstances don't floor you. So you get laid off. So you lose your job. So somebody walks out on you. I'm not saying it's not heartbreaking and there aren't going to be moments of grief. But that circumstance no longer defines you. That problem no longer hems you in to a future that you think can't happen because something collapsed. 
How many of you know that it doesn't matter who betrays me, who walks away from me? It doesn't matter if I get fired. It doesn't matter. None of that matters if I walk by the Spirit. You can't stop that man. Some of you have been stopped, and I tell you, it's sad what has stopped you. A human being has stopped you. A bad relationship stopped you. Something stopped you. Something stopping. I'm, I'm, a computer stopped you. Yeah, I'm telling you, your, 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 your uncontrolled emotions are stopping you. It's not that you're... It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that he doesn't have a plan for you. It's just that you've not learned to rule. And the minute you can begin to rule and exercise dominion, you'll begin to prosper. You'll begin to get promotion. Your healing will come. Your overcoming will come. It, it at its root is spiritual. Are, are you, I'm dwelling on this because if I don't dwell on it, if I could get just one or two of you to get the revelation, we could literally change our region. A mall doesn't hem us in. John's Island doesn't hem us in. Are you with me? I had people say, well, who's going to come with us to John's Island? Anybody who wants God. Amen. You just aren't hemmed in anymore. That's what the problem with Jesus was. The religious system couldn't get their fingers around him. You couldn't hem him in. They even walked him up to a cliff, ready to toss him off the cliff. And he just went. Because you couldn't hem him in. That's what God designed you to do and be. So let's talk about this ascension. What does it mean? Is it relevant? Come on, Pastor. Now let's talk about relevancy. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, listen to this. You should be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Ephesians 2, verse 5, it says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together. Everyone say together. Come on now. Come on. Everybody say together. Thank you. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up. Say it. Together. Say it again. He raised us up how? Oh, my. And made us sit how? Say it. Sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace or his favor in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, there are three togethers. And these three togethers tell me that we are in union we are literally in union with Christ. Now, if this is just good doctrine. The Bible says that if you've embraced Jesus Christ, that you are now a joint heir with him. That's in the Bible. A joint heir, a co-heir. Now, what that means is, is that if you're a co-heir with someone, that means everything they've got, you got to. Everything they have is yours as well. They don't get it all, and somehow or another, something's left out of that circle of heirship. 
It means that if you're a co-heir, everything he's got, you've got. Now, I understand this doesn't get preached. And the reason it doesn't get preached is, is because some preachers are too worried about God's public relations. And they're afraid if they say something that's too out there and God doesn't show up or do it, that somehow or another, it's going to look bad on them or on him or I don't even know how that works. My view is this. God's been dealing with his own public relations now for thousands of years. He's done okay. They've tried to get rid of him, and he still hangs around. So I'm just here to say that, that for me, the issue isn't God. It's probably on my side of the equation, and I'm a joint heir. I'm a jo- everything he's got, I've got. Everything he can do, I can do. Everything he is, I can become, because I've become a partaker of the divine nature. And the Bible says that you and I have been seated. We have been seated with him in the spirit realm together. You say, well, how can that be? Because right now I'm sitting here at Legacy. (laughs) I don't really feel like I'm seated with him. How does that work? Well, it works spiritually. Your inner man, your inner man who was dead in trespass and sin was made alive unto God. You resurrected. It was dead inside of you, but it was resurrected unto life. And now it is ascended with Christ on high. And right now, in the spirit realm, in the eternal realm, if you've got that revelation and understanding, you've been seated. This body is the temple, the scripture says. And I'm seated. He's seated in his temple. I'm seated with him. And now that I'm seated and I'm a co-heir, it means that everything he can do, I can do too. Now, what does that mean? What, what, What does it mean to be in union with this? Now, listen to me. Our problem is many of us are in union with our senses. We're more in union with our eyes than we are with our inner man. We're more in union with our emotions than we are with our inner man. So we've got to get in union by the Spirit. And that's going to be the key to victory. What does it mean? It means three things. I'm going to give this to you, bang, bang, bang. Here we go. The first thing it means to be seated is to be at rest. I don't know what the view seating means, but to me it means means rest. In fact, there's several verses you can see, just write them down. I'm not going to go through all these verses and read that, but the Hebrew writer says that there yet remains a rest for the people of God. There's a rest for the people of God. Rest means a ceasing of the need to strive, a ceasing of the need to be anxious, a ceasing of the need to worry. When Jesus sat down, the scripture says, all was completed. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to worry. We don't have to stress over the promise of God. That is the basis of our confidence. That is the basis of you and I being able to say, I know that 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 I know and you can't talk me out of it. Now, gratefully, many of you know that with regards to your eternal salvation. But unfortunately, for most people, it stops right about there. The reason we know it so well for the salvation part is because it's been hammered into us for so many years and for so long that we finally got the revelation. What I'm trying to do is hammer in the next level. You have been seated and you are told to be at rest and to have confidence that God will put all enemies beneath your feet. My personal belief is that God is waiting for a people who will rest in their confidence of him. If we have the deed which is faith for something, then should we not be at rest? If I've got the deed for an automobile that's being shipped from California to me, I don't have to fret over it if I've got the deed to it. 
If I've got the deed to it, it may take a few days to get here, but it will get here. And I've got the deed. So just relax. Nobody's going to get it. It's insured. It will happen. It's going to be yours. It will sit in the driveway. Just be at rest. Well, folks, we've got the deed to some promises. And he says, rest in that. Don't have to be anxious. Don't have to be worried. Why does he tell us to be anxious for nothing? But in all things, in prayer and supplication, give thanks to God. You can rest in some things. Rest in some things. Tracy looked at me and she gave me a vision of what she saw sitting out there on that 11 and a half acres at John's Island. She talked about how there would be thousands of people coming. We're not just talking to attend. We're talking disciples, man. We're talking 24-7 passionate people who are loving God, going all out, doing the work of God. And I'm here to declare to you, it's not going to take more work or more striving. It's going to take us as a people resting in him because we've got the deed to some things. It is time that when the doctor came in to the hospital room and he says, you've only got three months to live, to quit letting the doctor be seated with you and start letting Jesus be seated with you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your boss fires you from the job, and the reason you're in upheaval is because you're seated with your boss in heavenly places. Well, let's see. Well, that will get you. We've got to be seated with Christ, and that means rest. Now, it doesn't mean that we just simply become lazy or slothful, but what it means is, is that there's this confidence. That's what rest is, a confidence that God will do what he says he will do. That is another paradox of the kingdom. You know what paradoxes are. If you die, you live. If you're last, you're first. If you're first, you're last. If you give up, you get in. If you die, you live. And if you rest, it'll happen. It's a paradox. And you've been seated in order to have that confidence. Number two, what it says when I'm seated is, it says I have access. I have rest and I have access. Because we've been seated, the scripture says... I can come boldly before his presence. I can come boldly to declare the confession of, of the promises that he has given to me. I want you to look at Hebrews 4.16 real quick. Are you with me out there? Say amen. I'm assuming you're listening. All right. Is that true? All right. Ephesians 4, or excuse me, Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace or favor, in the time of need, and then leaping over to chapter 10, which is it's great. I could read this whole rest of this chapter. I won't do that to you. But it says in Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Are you reading this? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Not part assurance, not hope so, but full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Then what do you do? Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast your confession. Because you've been seated you can come boldly before his presence, not with arrogance, with confidence, and declare the confession of promises. I've had people come to me through the years, and this is religion pure and simple. 
They will come to me and they will say, you know, you just can't tell God what to do. We're telling God what to do and you can't tell God what to do. Well, that's only true if what you want is not provided for in his covenant. In other words, if you're wanting something from God that you can't find in this book, then you may be right. It may not be God's will. But if I can find a promise in a covenant that he cut with his own blood to give to me, if I can find that promise, don't you tell me God doesn't want to do it. It says every word is established forever. It says that his word out of his mouth is forever settled in the heavens and will accomplish that which he pleases and be successful in the matter for which he sent. If he said it, I'm not telling God what to do. I'm simply reminding him of what he said he would do. Amen. That's an amen again. Assurance. Rest, access, confidence. In Isaiah 45, 11, I've got to read this one messes people up too. I'm going to just mess you up some more before I go. Bible, just the Bible's the biggest mess up book in the universe. Isaiah 45, 11, it says this. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. This is what he says. You command me. That's in the Bible. God looks at his people and he says, concerning the works of my hand, concerning the things about my sons and my daughters. He says, concerning all of this, God's not waiting and, 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 and thinking, hmm, should I or should I not? Let's see. Let's flip a coin. I'll tell you what. Let's, let's, let's let the Godhead do paper, rock, scissors right now. And let's just figure out if we're going to work in John Doe's life. That's not how it works. God says, tell me. Literally, he said, command me. I understand everything in our body goes, you can't tell God what to do. I'm not telling God what to do. I'm simply saying, God, this is what your word says. You said it. I didn't make you say it. I didn't twist your arm. I didn't force you as if I could or leverage you. You said it. You said it. And if you said it, then it's as good as done. And I just simply confess it. I just confess it to the glory of God. I boldly have access. And we've got to boldly access with the promise of God. And then finally, number three is authority. Now this is a great one. Stay back there in Hebrews chapter 10. And we're, and we're, and we're ending right with this. Hebrews chapter 10. But this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Hebrews 10, 13. In fact, I'll jump up to verse 12. Hebrews 10, 12. It says, but this man, it means Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down... At the right hand of God. That's a great verse. But then look at what it says in verse 13. From that time waiting. Till his enemies. Are made his footstool. Do you realize. That right now in this room. Here in this place. There is enough authority. That if we released this authority together. Anything and everything could happen. We can speak to storms and they'll cease. Do you understand? They made fun of Pat Robertson when he said he spoke to a hurricane and it moved. They made fun of him. But I'm telling you right now, we can speak to nature's forces if we so understand and have revelation and they will yield. Yes, they will. And I'm not saying it under any other authority except that's what it says in this particular book. We can speak to disease and it will dry up. 
we can move in power and we'll be unstoppable. It is time that we quit giving excuses for our defeat. And it's time that we simply say, I'm pursuing, I'm learning, I'm desiring, I'm wanting, and I'm willing to see, I'm willing to speak, and I'm willing to seize the victory that I know is mine. It is coming. Yes, it will. That's the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a book about a a group of men and a group of women who finally are made aware on the day of Pentecost. They are finally made aware of who they are in him. And Peter himself says in his Pentecostal sermon there on the streets of Jerusalem, he says in Acts chapter 2, we never read the sermon, but he had so much revelation as he's talking to the people in the streets in Acts 2, uh, 30, what is it, 2.34. He says, for David, he says, did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter, in his Pentecost Day sermon, not only talked about the death of Christ, not only talked about the resurrection of Christ, but he looked at all those people in a Jerusalem street, and he said, right now, this Lord whom you killed, whom many of you know has been raised from the dead, has been seated at the right hand of God the Father, waiting now until all his enemies be made his footstool. And he speaks this out, and at that moment, 3,000 people say yes. They didn't sign cards, raise hands, and pray little private prayers. They repented, and they turned, and they, they stepped out from their families, and they stepped out from their friends, and everybody in Jerusalem knew exactly who they were. I'll be so bold as to suggest some of them were shouting, crucify him, not but a few days prior to that. And they said yes to him, and suddenly enemies were being made a footstool. Two days later, 5,000 people are converted again. Whole households. Peter walks along. He's going to the temple. He sees a lame man at the temple gate. For his whole lifetime, he's been lame. And all Peter has with him is that which is inside of him. And he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. I just have to speak it. I don't have to get you to the next meeting. I don't have to get you in a prayer meeting. I don't have to lay hands on you. All I have to do is say, rise up and walk. He mastered it to such a degree that later on in Acts chapter 5, they dragged their sick into the streets, lest his shadow fall on them. And they would be raised up. There was authority. You couldn't jack around in the early church. They, they said things they didn't mean, and suddenly, like Ananias and Sapphira, you caught them, and, 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 you, and you just toted them out. They were dead. I mean, I mean, there was a fear of the Lord. There was a power of the Lord. Even when they were flogged or they were martyred. We never think about that. I just started meditating on this. How could it be that you were literally flogged and martyred? And I, I listened to the stories even of saints in third world countries that go to prison and the atrocities that are done to them. Even this day that we in America are just totally clueless to. And I was thinking how in the world could they do this? And suddenly it dawned on me that they so had mastered their inner man and that inner walk and the walk of the Spirit that their senses didn't even respond to the whip anymore. Beat me, kill me, shoot me, spit on me. In America, we don't even have to worry about that. We can't take it if somebody just makes fun of us. What? And we're going to rule. I don't think so. But you lay a whip to a man's back who will rise up and go out shouting glory and saying praise God that I'm worthy to suffer 
for righteousness sake, you could give them a city. I do believe. But there was something that had to take place. They had to get a revelation of what it is that Christ had done and who they were in him. Now we're done with this and it's over. Romans chapter 8. I've mentioned it many times, but this is it. and We're coming in for the landing. Romans 8, 19 and 20. Romans 8, 19. Well, though, let's jump up to 18. This is what Paul said. He said, for I consider the sufferings of this present time. Now, you have to understand, he's in prison. I mean, it's not like he's going to school and just people making fun, calling him a holy roller. We're not talking about that. We're not talking you go to work and everybody just kind of makes fun of you. That you're the holy person and they're, they're, they're just giving you a bad time. I mean, we read the suffering passages and we think we're suffering when someone looks at us and just sort of sneers at our Christianity. We don't get it in America. He's in a prison. I mean, we're talking tough, tough, tough. But he says the sufferings, I don't consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation, and this is the great verse, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, you need to understand that, that we are joint heirs. You and I have what Jesus has. We have the ability to release the glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Paul says this, he says that the sufferings you may be going through at this moment, he says, don't get your eyes and don't get your senses on that. He said, he said, there's coming a day when what is in you will come out of you that will make these moments of perceived suffering pale in insignificance to what is going to come forth. The only thing I even have likened that to at times, and even this falls short as an illustration, I have watched my own wife, for instance, give birth to children. And ladies, those of you that have had children know that that can be somewhat of a painful thing. Us guys will never join that club. We will never know all that you go through. But I've watched my wife go through this and the pain that's associated with it. And our first two children, when they came, there were no fancy drugs. Gratefully, the third one, there's an epidural. Hallelujah. And thank God for epidural and knowledge in the earth. I mean... But those first two, they came natural, man. And I'm here to tell you, when everything's moving and shifting and babies are coming out and the whole thing, I mean, she's screaming, telling me to pray in tongues, don't pray silently, seek God. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mess for a few moments. And I mean, it is painful. But that baby comes. It's put into her arms. She begins to heal the process and she begins to grow up and there's a joy that begins to come with that child until suddenly she looks at me again and she says, you want another one? Because the pain and the suffering of that season was not worthy to be compared to the joy of having that child in front of you. And guys, you need to understand, we'll never join that club, but some of us have been pregnant too in the things of God. And it screams and it's painful. I know what that feels like. And you're going, God, I can't take it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm ready to eject. I want to call a timeout. The Lamaze class isn't working for me. I just want it to be over. But God says, if you'll just, just press through, if you'll just begin to learn at this moment to take dominion over that sense 
the glory of what will be revealed is not worthy to be compared to the pain you're facing at this moment. Some of you need to hear that. Right now you feel like you're in this incredible pain. You've got so much pain in your life right now. You go, I can't, I can't imagine anything but the pain I'm in. I'm going to give you hope. Imagine it right now in your spirit. God says there's going to come a day for you if you'll follow his precepts and you'll walk in his ways. God says that there will come a day for you when there'll be such promise and such glory released in your life that that pain you feel right now that you can't even imagine going away will seem like nothing compared to that which he's now released to you. Now listen to me. That's not even the good word. Because what it says here is this. It says that the whole world has an expectation, an earnest expectation the whole world, are, they're looking at us. Do you understand the world? There's no hope anywhere in the world. Except in Jesus Christ as he begins to be demonstrated through the people of God. And so the whole world is looking. They're in pain over their fractured relationships. They're in pain over their lost jobs. They're in pain over the economy. They're in pain over the betrayals. They're in pain over the bitterness and the unforgiveness. Think right now of all the pains that the world is in as it looks around and it says, is there, is there an answer anywhere? Anywhere. We need an answer. There's got to be something more than a relationship and trade it in for a relationship and trade it in for a relationship. There's got to be something more than just, than just having all these multiple experiences. And there's got to be something more. There's this earnest expectation of the world, that they're looking for someone or some people who will begin to demonstrate and manifest, it says. Manifest, demonstrate the glory of God. I remember uh, years ago, I, uh, I pastored in Oakland, California, and once a week, I would go downtown to inner city Oakland. And I would teach at the rescue mission that was there. And I would go in, and it was predominantly African-American men. There were white Caucasian men there as well, but predominantly African men. And so when, you know, I was 28, 29 years old, and I was, I was as bald then as I am now. So they had this young bald guy come into their rescue mission, and all the men would be there, and... and I just went down to teach them once a week. And I can remember a few weeks went by. And uh, in fact, let me just back up. It, it was kind of an interesting thing going to inner city Oakland because it was tough. You got to remember, it was in the San Francisco Bay Area and there was, you know, the Berkeley campus in Berkeley. And then there was the Haight-Ashbury area of San Francisco, which is where all the hippie stuff happened and drugs. And, and, and now it's predominantly a homosexual community. And even in Oakland, all that, all that stuff spills over into Oakland. And Oakland was known for its murders and its, and its crime. We lived in a nice neighborhood, and yet at night we could still hear gunshots as, as we lived in that neighborhood. In fact, one night there was a park next to, next to where we lived, and we could hear a young woman screaming. She was obviously in trouble, and I ran out the door, and I started to run toward the park. And Tracy said to me, what are you going to do when you get there? And I said, call the police. And the screaming stopped, and we never knew what happened. But I'm just telling you, that was the type of environment we lived in. And downtown, as you could imagine, was a difficult area. 
And I would go downtown, and you had to think about where you're going to park your car because it might not be there, or the wheels might not be there, or your, you know, your radio antenna might not be there. And so you had to think about where you had to park, and most of the time I could park right out in front of the rescue mission, and so there was no problem. But that was of concern. And I can remember going in with the guys and beginning to teach them. And we hadn't gone but two or three weeks. And the guys would come in, and I mean, they were just, they were, they were being slow. They were copping attitudes. Most of them had cocaine addictions. And, uh, you know, they could get, you know, after a week, everybody wants free in a week. You know, they've been doing coke for years, and they want free in a week. And they don't understand the suffering. They don't understand how you have to travail. They, they weren't even understanding some spiritual principles. But I can remember one particular time, and I was just talking to these bound, addicted men. One of them raised their hand, and they say, Rev, that's how they call you, Rev, you know, whenever you come, I mean, we're glad you're here, but whenever you talk, you're just shooting over everybody's head. And they just don't get anything out of it. And on and on he goes, on he goes. And finally, you, you could, you could, and obviously he was a leader because you could kind of see everybody watching his, gauging his attitude. And finally he got done with his little thing with me. And this is what I said. I said, the problem with you and your life is this. Everybody has yielded to your stupidity. Everybody has yielded to your hard-headedness. Everybody has yielded to you and your way of doing it, and I refuse to do it. Because you aren't going to get out by me telling just these little stories and you doing your little shout thing and dance around and then think you're going to get out of this. You're going to have to grow up, sit down, listen, learn, get disciplined and break free from this if you want to make something out of your life. And I want to help you do that. But I am not going to stoop to your level. I'm going to call you up. I'm going to call you up to another level. And I looked at him and I said this, you know, Disneyland, Disney World, of course, Disneyland in California, Disneyland has thousands of people come visit it, but ain't nobody transformed when they go out of Disneyland. But they got people signed up waiting at the door to get into Harvard because they know if they get that degree from Harvard, they will literally have opportunities to rule and to reign because of the stamp of approval that came from Harvard. Now, that's just a natural illustration. I'm not here to provide Disney World for you. I'm here to train you to rule and to reign. I'm here to do something in you that will cause you to arise and to walk into your situation and instead of being a reed shaken in the wind or being bounced here and there and all around, that you will arise and you will actually give leadership to that thing. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. These, these men and these women who were hiding in fear who hung around Jesus as long as he was doing his one-man carnival, they finally reached the place where something happened to them that they stepped into the streets and they took dominion over Jerusalem that day because he'd been seated. Are you hearing me? This city is ripe for dominion. Somebody just has to arise with revelation in their heart and say... I'm not backing down to you anymore. That you will yield to the name that is above every name. You will yield to he who has been seated. This re regions can come to Christ. And, and like I said, I, I don't think, I, you know the bottom line is this. If you want revelation, it's all a matter of what you want. 
What do, you, what do you want? If you want someone to do a little... Or do you want to rule? It's time to rule. It's time to exercise dominion. Stand with me, will you? Amen. Here's what I'm going to do. I haven't done this on a Sunday morning in ages, but I'm going to do this this morning. What happened to the disciples that day was they got, they got baptized with the Holy Ghost. Jesus said that, when, that he would go away, and when he went away and he was seated, he told them, he said, don't worry about it, I'm going to send another one to you. I'm going to send the promise of my Father, the Spirit of God himself, to fill you and to overflow you. And dominion happens. That's why the Spirit of God needs to be up front and central. Because the Spirit of God is what will heighten and enliven and, and, and begin to flow and move through you in order to see that rule take place. It's not just about the manifestations of tongues and signs and wonders. I believe in all those things, and they're wonderful. And I'm believing God for more. But I t- I, this is the greatest sign and wonder, is for a Christian to go to work on Monday morning and just exercise dominion over his workplace. That would be a sign and wonder. Amen. To begin to look, look different from everyone else and not care. I don't care. Let him talk about it. I mean, has it finally dawned on you that when people come in from their weekend and they look at each other and they talk about their multiple partners they had over the weekend and they drank so much that they were puking all day Sunday and they can't wait till next weekend, has it finally, finally lit up in you that that is weird? Come on now. We're going to exercise dominion. And, 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 and the minute you get there, we'll start seeing promise come to pass. Holy Spirit, I appreciate your presence here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for just overcoming my bumbleness and, 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 and my, my, my slack in speech, Lord. But I believe you can do something beyond, Lord, even my simple words in the hearts of these, your people. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, that you would begin to touch people. Lord, that you would begin to create in them a hunger and a desire, Lord, for the deeper things, for greater things. Lord, I pray right now that that as you've given them imagination for great and precious promises, Lord, that now you would give them revelation, Lord, with regards to who they are and their desire to want to walk in all of that. Lord, I'm grateful for some who would say, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm there. I got it. Been there. But Lord, there are some here this morning, I suspect, they're defeated and they are discouraged. And Lord, we're not trying to make them feel bad about that, but just giving them that slice of hope that says there is more and it can be different. And your day has arrived. And the sufferings of this present season won't be worthy to be compared to that which God's bringing people into. Lord, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus, in these last moments we have, we've acknowledged the fullness of your son's sacrifice. We've acknowledged, Lord, that he took back everything the enemy has stolen. We've acknowledged, Lord, that he was raised from the dead with the keys of death and hell. And now we're acknowledging he's been seated and we've been seated with him. Far above all powers and principalities. And Lord, I want to pray and just on the basis of your word begin to release into people now the power of your spirit and your presence. Lord, help people to want that and desire that right now, I ask. In the name of Jesus, 
in the name of Jesus. Right now, I'm going to make you, you got to get up and you got to join me right here. I'm going to pray right now that, that power begins to invade us right now. If you're wanting, if you're wanting that fresh infilling right now, Right now, I want you to begin just to come and, and we're going to pray and believe God right now. I need, I need, I need some new power. I need revelation. I need to begin to rule and reign over my silly senses. We're going to pray right now. We're going to believe God's going to help you right now. Thank you. I see folks I know and I see some I don't. And I'm, I'm grateful for each one of you. Hallelujah. I want everybody beginning to pray. Just begin to bless the Lord right now. We're going to end this service a little bit differently this morning. Have you ever looked at your life and you just said, what happened? I, I didn't even know that I would be here at this point. I'm here to tell you that we're going to change it right now. We're going to, we're going to turn it around right now. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you right now that every promise is true. Thank him that his promises are true. Thank him that he's no respecter of persons. Thank him that he, uh, he is true to what he says he will do. That, that he is not going to leave you out. He's not going to cut you out of the loop. But that right now God, God in his incredible mercy and his graciousness is going to begin to release to you the fullness of who he is. I'm not promising you that he's going to take you out of all of your issues because he may be saying, and I believe he is to many of us, I'm not taking you out. I'm saying rule in the midst. We want to be taken out of our problem, and the Lord says, rule in the midst of your problems. So quit looking for the injection cord. Arise. Arise. Lord, I speak an arising right now to your people in the name of Jesus. Lord, I declare over them, their inner men right now, to arise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Arise right now. Break through. Break through the, the mind and the, the emotion. Break through the rationalities and the, and, and, and the feelings. Break through it, Holy Spirit, right now. Let your people arise internally. Let that exceeding greatness of your power begin to stir in the hearts of these, your people, right now. Holy Spirit, begin to move. We call you forth. The Bible says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise. Arise in me. Arise in me. Come on, you need to say it. Say it. Arise in me. Arise in me. Arise in me. Hallelujah. Arise. 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 Some of you right now, I'm telling you, I'm teaching you right now that this is what you've got to do on Monday. You've got to jump up out of bed and when it starts hitting you that it's another week and all the discouraging things that may be facing you, you need to say, arise, arise, arise. Lift your, lift your hands unto the Lord and just begin to say, arise. And you're gonna, you'll feel His manifested glory even begin to move upon your hands. And it's His presence saying, I'll not leave you nor forsake you. Be of good courage. Come on, we've got to be of good courage. Get in the hunt. Arise, O oh God, in our midst. Arise in our midst. In Jesus' name. In Jesus, I just release now a new portion of His Spirit upon you. Just receive it. I release upon you a new portion of His Spirit. 
I release upon you a new portion of His Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let it be manifested by signs and wonders. Lord, let healings begin to take place. Let deliverances begin to happen right now in the name of Jesus. Let habits begin to be broken right now. You've been waiting for some, some, you know, some, what do you call those things? Patch, some patch to get you free. Jesus says, let me free you right now. Just be free. Come on, exercise dominion. Say, I rule over my habits. I rule over that television set. I rule over that computer. I rule over my anger, my emotions. I rule over my sensitivities. I rule over my offenses and my bitternesses. I rule over this stuff. I rule over the words that were sloshed on me. I rule over this. I rule in the name of Jesus. Come on, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You've been seated. Seated. Come on, you, unless, unless you want out, he isn't kicking you out of your seat. Right now, Lord, signs, wonders. Lord, let, let, let there be a distinguishable happening in Jesus' name. We release power in the name of Jesus. We unlock those doors that have been shored up. We say to the gates that have been closed to open now in Jesus' name. We say for revelation insight to begin to just, just bubble forth and unfold, unveiled in people's minds and spirits. Let it begin to happen right now in Jesus' name. Come on, quote the word. That's the word. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not below. I will lend and not borrow. I'm blessed going in and coming out. If the enemy comes against me one way, he'll scatter in seven. The blessing will come upon me and it will overtake me. God has called me to his favor. Lord, I declare I'm a man. I'm a man of, of character. I'm a man of holiness. I want to pursue you. I will, not, I will not yield to the common. I will, I will be of the uncommon in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. I want everyone right now, as you're standing here, to begin to say this. Lord, thank you for starting the work and manifesting the work from this time forward. I declare I am different. I am changed. I am transformed. I'm not the same person. You're creating me into something new. To rule, to lead, to influence, to prevail, to conquer. I will settle for nothing less than all the promises of God. I am not an exception, but I am a rule. I am a person related to the king. So I receive with confidence and yet hum humility... All that you have into my life. I am a son, a daughter. I am a child of God in Jesus' name. Can you begin to bless the Lord? Can you begin to bless the Lord? Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God.
God is good. All the time, God is good. Hallelujah. Just soak for just a minute. I'm going to cut you loose. About 60 seconds, two minutes. You got two minutes. Just soak for just a minute. Let God soak it in you. Just stay in his presence for a moment and let God begin to soak it in you. We're always rushing here and there and everywhere. Let him soak it in you. These last moments, Lord, soak it into us. Soak revelation into us. We lose these things so easily. Lord, soak it into the very fiber of our being. Cause us to be mindful. Cause us to meditate on this moment. Let us not, let us not walk from this place and say somehow or another, I'm the same. But Lord, let it be said, I'm never going to be the same. I'm never going to be the same. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for doing that in the people of God, the congregation of the Lord. And Lord, right now, I just ask that the work you've begun, you would continue to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just a word. The Lord would say, what is, what is your excuse? Are you unforgivable? What about my word and my promises? The Lord would say, I tore the veil. I tore the veil. I want nothing to separate us. I have made the way. Will you walk in it? Lord, we will walk in it. We will walk in it. We will walk through and see the brightness of your Shekinah emanating from your presence. We receive that, Lord. We receive that with full confidence. Be confident. Come on now. You got to take your confidence out for a drive this week. Come on, take your confidence out for a drive this week. Just believe God for healing. Just believe God for change. Don't, don't, don't be unstable by, by everything around you, but just, just rule over your spirit and let your confidence go for a drive and see what God will do. I believe he'll change things all around you. This week, will you believe with me this week? Let's just believe God this week. Why not? We're always believing for years from now. Let's just believe this week. This week. This week. Some of you need a this week miracle. I want a this week miracle. This week, Lord, you can do it. You can. And so, Lord, we're just taking our confidence in you, not in the flesh, not in us. We are nothing. You're everything. But, Lord, our confidence in you, we're taking out for a drive and say, live big. Do the impossible. Turn it around. Show yourself strong. In Jesus' name, and all the assembly said, Amen. Let's give the Lord one more great big hand clap. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. We're back on Wednesday. I'm going to be teaching this Wednesday. So it'll be a great midweek. But if not, remember, we're going to connect some dots next Sunday. I want you to be here. And we'll have.